When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. It's great to be with you again as uh, we continue to walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. So uh, if you have a Bible out, you're ready to go, or you got something with your Bible on it, you're ready to go, uh, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And and we'll talk about, uh, as we get, believe it or not, we're now talking about how will we end this year. Now, for the, those of you that do attend the Bible study in person, uh, I know the pandemic, um, We at one time we had as many as 50 people uh, in here, and uh, and we don't have uh, near that many anymore. But in the process of the new year, as we start getting out of this, or you're a regular here, uh, in the new year we will be in a new studio, uh, and I'll, I'll keep you posted on that as best I can uh, here on uh, the streaming. Uh, but if you want to reach out to me and be sure I've got your email if you uh, attend this Bible study on a regular basis uh, there out of Birmingham, Alabama, in the Rick and Bubba studios. Uh, be sure I can get in touch with you because I, I'll let you know, you know, where we'll be when I come back from Christmas break. But we'll stay here uh, all the way up to to uh, the week of um, uh, our last day on the air will be December the seventeenth. So those last two weeks of December, uh, as is the norm, there'll be no Bible study. Uh, I'll come back in the studio um, at the first of January. So the first week of January will be our first Bible study. Uh, in 2022, and it will be at a new location. If, but for those of you that watch this or listen to it streaming, you're not going to be affected other than the fact that you may see some different things in the studio if you watch it on YouTube. That's about it. Uh, nothing else will change. But we're going to finish uh, the book of First um, Corinthians. We're going to work that here toward the end of the year, uh, and, uh, and then we'll start a new Bible study coming up in 2022. I'll be telling you more about that as we go forward. Now, this also means that all kinds of stuff uh, going on because this Bible study uh, is is brought to you by themanchurch.com. We are a men's discipleship strategy. You can get all the details um, at themanchurch.com. And I will say this for those of you that are watching this, and I know there are women who watch the Bible study or listen to the Bible study uh, on the stream. If you're looking for some great gift ideas for the men on your Christmas list, themanchurch.com, we have all sorts of uh, merchandise, uh, including resources for men, devotionals and books, and, and we have T-shirts and hats and stuff like that. Uh, that if you want to give the gift of themanchurch.com, you can. We have a store there. But remember about all the problems with shipping. So if you want to go ahead and get that done, uh, just go to themanchurch.com and, and pick up some great gifts that actually could pay dividends and the, the discipleship of the men uh, on your Christmas list. And if you're a church and you're uh, listening to this or paying attention, you're thinking, hey, you need a game plan for 2022, uh, we'll be launching our third 40-week curriculum uh, in 2022. If you've never started with us, uh, we have, uh, by the time 2022 gets here, we'll be into three 40-week curriculums that you can implement with the men of your church. We help you get speakers, uh, and you can do our whole strategy and see that at themanchurch.com. Speaking of that, some men church uh, man churches that are going on uh, coming up Thursday of this week, if, this, if you're you know catching this on the week that it aired, uh, that'll be coming up uh, November the 11th, this Thursday. Tomorrow night, uh, Scott Dawson will be in Laurel, Mississippi at uh, Journey Church. Sunday night, uh, I'll be at Pine Grove Baptist and Center, and that'll be kind of the end uh, as far as me speaking for this year 
I'm going to be taking a break, and then we start another tour in 2022. But the 2021, as far as I'm concerned, uh, will be ending for me at Pine Grove Baptist Church in Center, Alabama, on November the 14th. Uh, they're already into the second curriculum, and I get a chance to go speak to them. Uh, that same night, Helmsy will be in Gunnersville. Uh, First United Methodist Church in Gunnersville on the 14th. They're having man church and starting the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, New Life Chapel, Madison, Alabama, on November the 17th. Helmsy will be there. That's their second man church. Uh, The third man church for Winfield Baptist Church in Winfield, Alabama, Rich Wingo, will be there November the 21st. First Baptist Church in Pelham, Alabama, they're doing the men's discipleship strategy. Helmsy will be at their next uh, man church on November the 21st. And then Mark Garnett, December the 11th, uh, he will be in um, uh, West Mobile Baptist Church uh, and also coming up on December the 16th at First Baptist Church, Opelika, Alabama, Mac Brunson uh, will be speaking there. And uh, that will pretty much wrap up the year uh, for the man churches until we come back on 2022. A couple of other things you might want to know about if you're looking for other gifts for Christmas or you just want to go ahead and get your tickets, there'll be three uh, uh, conferences from themanchurch.com coming up in 2022. The first one will be called The Man Event, and it's on February the 4th. It'll be one night at Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Charles Billingsley and I are going to be together three times uh, coming up this year, uh, and we'll be doing that uh, uh, men's conference. It's just one night. It's on a Friday night. Uh, Hugh, Hugh Fries of Liberty University will be giving his uh, riveting testimony. He'll be part of that. Uh, I'll be speaking, and also as a special treat, uh, we, we started thinking of things that have never been done before at men's conferences. You know, we're trying to rework the way you do men's ministry. My wife, Sherry, is actually going to be a special guest that night, uh, and she and I will be – I'll be talking, but then I'm going to bring her out, and she's going to talk to the men from the perspective of a wife and a mother and, and, and talk about how, what women need uh, from men biblically. Uh, and so that's going to be kind of a unique experience, but she'll be part of that too. That's February the 4th. Those tickets are on sale now at themanchurch.com under events. Then we'll be doing the Pursuit Men's Conference. This will be our third year to do that in Dothan, Alabama. Jonathan Evans will be joining me and Andy Blanks. Uh, all three of us will be speaking that weekend, and Charles Billingsley will be leading worship there as well. So uh, those uh, that's coming up uh, on the, the mid-weekend of February. They're in Dothan, Alabama, I think February 16th and 17th. Then we'll have another Pursuit Conference in Gadsden, Alabama, Coming up in mid-July, we'll tell you more about that. Those tickets are not on sale quite yet. So all that information can be found at themanchurch.com. Just click on events. So let's pray, and if you want to go to the store, you click on the store. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. Um, This is a very important topic. We take words uh, like love and we throw them around, uh, but any time that we're dealing with the, the purest example of how things should be is the way you said they should be. Uh, so help us to have a very difficult time today of, uh, of looking at to whether we really love the people that we claim to love. Uh, are, uh, do we do love the way you say it should be done? Uh, and help us, Lord, to unpack that today. Uh, we also continue to pray for the, uh, the men that are part of this, um, uh, of this Bible study. Uh, Lord, we, we have men that are hurting. We're having men that are struggling. I know Jerry's having a um, you know, who's here just about every Wednesday. He's having a neck procedure today. Be with him. Uh, Tommy Finley, uh, who is uh, still recovering from his stroke from here in the uh, men's Bible study on Wednesday, that he's usually here. And I pray that you be with both of them as we, we intercede on their behalf. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, 
this is a uh, these are verses that you you've heard at weddings a lot. Uh, this these verses were uh, they were read at, at my wedding when Sherry and I uh, were married, uh, at least part of it. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, it's great because really what Paul's about to unpack, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is is what God says love is. But also here's what's important: what God said says that love isn't. Uh, but that that's one of the parts that that we rarely look at. You know, God says this is right. But, you know, in the way things should be done, you know, when Jesus, remember, we did the, a lesson on that. It's a standalone lesson when Jesus said, this is how you pray. But Jesus also said what? This is how you don't pray. Uh, this is how you fast. This is how you don't fast. Uh, and so so we're going to look today where God says, this is what love is. But, oh, by the way, you may claim that you love someone, but let me tell you what love isn't. Now, Looking at it from that perspective is perfectly fine, and I think and beneficial and very convicting, and it, and it stand and it's true. But getting real specific in this letter that Paul has written to the church at Corinth, he's really talking about what does love look like within the church among brothers and sisters of the church. Because if you remember in twelve, he began to talk about uh, that there's certain things that we should not be doing, and and he says, in, and when it comes to your gifts and your giftedness, you're forgetting that you're different parts of one body and no one part is more important than the other. And there's nothing wrong with having spiritual gifts, but there's a way that spiritual gifts should be handled. And if you see, he ends ends verse 12 by saying, I will show you a still more excellent way. So he's transitioning. Remember, when we're unpacking the Bible, the Bible was not chapter 13. Uh, This was an ongoing letter from Paul we put the breaks in it when we put the canon together so we could study the Bible more efficiently and break it up, but it is not the way this letter. Paul did not say, and now chapter 13, the people who put together the Word of God, inspired by God, did that for our benefit. So remember when he says, I will show you still a more excellent way, that now transitions into the next part of the letter when he starts talking about love. He's saying, you claim that you love each other, but the behavior that I'm seeing in the church does not seem like you really love each other because there's some things that you're doing that show that you don't really love the people you claim to love. Now, we could we could now apply that to anything, including our marriages, our children, our, our friendships, uh, And uh, but he's really specifically talking about I don't see you as a body of, of followers of Jesus loving each other the way God said to so, uh, but it's, it applies to any time we claim that we love someone. So he says, because if you see this, it makes that first verse in 13 make a little more sense. Notice the first example he starts using. I can have all these gifts, but if I don't have love, these gifts don't mean anything. So he starts out and he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, this is some of Paul's most beautiful writing, by the way. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, uh, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Uh, if I give away all that I have, and and if I if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So he starts out saying, I just talked about these spiritual gifts, and he's listing again some of them. This is not all of them, but he lists some of them. And he said, you can be the most gifted in any of these areas to the point that he says you could even be martyred for the faith. But if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. You know, what's the motivation? How do you use these gifts that God has given you? 
he says you can you can have prophecies, you can speak in tongues, you can you can uh, have have uh, the faith that can move a mountain. But if none of this is on the foundation of love, then it's it's all meaningless, and that's a very strong statement, uh, and it, and it's one that we have to kind of evaluate ourselves. And then Paul goes into the way that that great teachers teach. Remember, especially uh, I tell people all the time when you're doing men's ministry, don't ever assume we as men understand what you're talking about. Never assume that. Uh, always give us very specific examples that that help us to understand what you mean. Don't ever assume. The one thing you never say to a man if you're discipling a man is, you know what I mean? Uh, because he won't tell you whether he does or he doesn't, but the odds are he doesn't. Uh, lay it out. And when you think you've laid it out to, and you've just you've just run it into the ground, tell us one more time uh, and be sure that we understand it, okay? So now Paul, being a good teacher, he says, now when I speak of this love, and, and I'm not going to do the thing that's been done many times where in English we have one word for love. It does limit us, but the way Paul teaches us, even though this has been interpreted into English and we only have the one word, because of his great description of this is love and this isn't, we can still get it. Okay, with all the limits that we have. So in verse 4, he's going to start now telling you what love is. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. So first of all, we say, he says, all right, so love is patient and kind. So so love is that. So what we have to ask ourselves is, when it comes to the people that we claim to love, are we patient and are we kind? Have you ever found a lot of times that we almost do the reversal? We will be patient and kind to strangers, but not to the people that we claim to love. And what Paul is saying, well, that's really not love at all, because if you really love someone, you would be patient and you would be kind. If you claim to love your brothers and sisters of, the, of, of, of Christ in the body of the church, then you should be patient and kind with them. If you claim to love your spouse, why are you not patient and kind with them? If you claim to love your children, why are you not patient and kind? See, patient and kind, who has also showed patience and kindness to us? God. And so when God says he loves us, then he has certainly shown us that, hasn't he? In many ways, but one of them is that he's patient and he's kind. So then Paul says, I want to tell you what love does not do. And he says, love does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not arrogant. So if you claim to to love someone, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in a letter to the church at Corinth that made the Holy Bible, he says, if you love someone but you envy, and what does he mean by envy there? Now, he's been talking about spiritual gifts, but it could apply to anything. What he means, if you really love somebody, you're not envious envious of something they have that you don't. Well, that's not love. Can't you be happy for them? Can't you celebrate what they have? But you say, well, I kind of envy it. I wish they didn't have it. I wish I did. And, And I wish that I had this. And I'm not, instead of me being thrilled that they have it, I wish I did. And you love this person? Yes, I do. You know what Paul says? No, you don't. You must not, or you wouldn't be doing this. Because we can say anything. It's what we actually do. Remember, we've talked about that over and over again. And he says what? It does not boast. It is not arrogant. So what this means is if we really love somebody, 
uh, and maybe something good has happened to us or to our children, uh, what we don't do is every time they're around us, all they hear is us being boastful and being arrogant about how wonderful we are, how wonderful our children are, how wonderful our gifts are, um, how many things we have, uh, how, how, how incredible our house is, how incredible our car is, uh, how about this raise I just got, and all this kind of stuff in a way that's braggadocious. I, I've told you guys the, um, uh, uh, the example of, you know, I remember when my kids were playing tournament ball, and I, I remember how odd it was that these total strangers – would sit down and begin to brag on a kid that I've never met and, and, and coming from a parent that I don't even know. Well, you know what Paul would say, but Rick, those are strangers. Those people never claim to love you. They're acting the way they should. And then what he says, but now if anybody claims to love you, you shouldn't have to tolerate that. They, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have that. They wouldn't, uh, you know, practice that kind of behavior around you. And then the next one is, what does it say? It says, it is not rude. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself? You ever, you ever watched? It's uncomfortable. I think we've all been around it. You ever been around a couple and that's married, which so if they're married, at some point they claim they loved each other, right? And you look and they treat each other like garbage. And they're, they're incredibly rude to their spouse. And you know what's, what, what's really bad about it is when they're rude to their spouse in front of other people or in front of their children. And, 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 you, and Paul's saying you can't really claim to love anybody that you can't be decent enough not to be rude to them. If you love, you don't, you don't, you're not rude to people you claim to love. Now you may have a moment, and I've certainly had them, where I thought to myself, I just treated someone that I claim to love rudely, and I apologize for it. He's not talking about you make a mistake sometime and you're rude. What he's saying is, if you claim to love these people, and 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 rudeness is the norm for you to them, then you don't really love them. Because if you love them, he goes back, you'd be patient, you'd be kind, you wouldn't be envious, you wouldn't be boastful, you wouldn't be arrogant, you wouldn't be rude. But you, you really wouldn't do these things, you wouldn't act that way uh, to people that you claim to love. And then the next one, he says this, and, we, and, and, and may we never be like this if we claim to love someone. It does not insist on its own way. You ever, you ever been around these people? Boy, they're a pleasure, aren't they? No, hey. I tell you one thing: we're doing whatever they want. There, there, there's no other option. We're gonna eat where they want to eat. We're gonna vacation where they want to vacation. Uh, we're going to their parents' house. There's no, there's no thought that maybe you know the spouse might want to go to their parents' house one time. Uh, we're gonna do exactly what that person wants to do, and that person couldn't care less if the people that they claim to love might prefer to do something else. Where are we going to eat? Well, we know this: wherever they want to go. Are you that person? Do, do you have people that you claim to love? Have you even remotely stopped to thought about the people that you love, what they want to do? I, I will say this. I, I watched uh, my father with my mother, and, and one of the things that I really, really loved is you could tell they both truly intended that the other person, they really wanted to make sure that whatever we were doing was what it was okay with the other person. And you want to do this? You, you, want, you want to watch that movie? You want to eat that restaurant? Um, you know, it really didn't matter to me. Where do you want to go? And they weren't saying it to be difficult. I think they, I, I saw a true effort that they really did not put their own preferences in front of the person that they claim they loved. Now, does it mean that, you know, there's never a time that you go and do what you want to do? No, because that other person should be loving you enough 
that that's okay. What we're saying is, are you the person that as soon as something comes up, you step in and we all do what you want to do. And, and then you're one I love this. That, that, that really makes people feel great. Look, we all have our preferences. We all have things that we want to do, but can I tell you what people don't do who claim to love people? If somebody does bring up, well, I would rather, uh, I would really kind of rather uh, not go to the beach this vacation. Uh, I would really rather, you know, go to the mountains. The mountains. I hate to go to the mountains, man. That's miserable. We get cold up there, and I don't like the restaurants up there, and I can't stand to stay in a cabin. And you're just like, never mind. Let's go to the beach. Because you know you can. It's all right to have preferences. That's fine. That's what makes us all individuals. And you learn each other's preferences when you love each other. But let's face it, if you want to know if you're truly in love, you have gone places, you've eaten places, you've watched shows that you didn't want to because you did it because you loved somebody. You didn't say, I love you, but just so you know, I'm never going to do anything I don't want to do. Well, then you don't really love that person because you insist on your own way. You want it done your way. And, uh, and everything that, that is going on in that house revolves around your own personal preferences, and you couldn't care less what everybody else's preferences are. Then you don't love those people. You love yourself. And that's what Paul is saying. It, love really doesn't insist on its own way. Love, uh, love sacrifices for the benefit of others. I assure you that Jesus Christ did not prefer to go to the cross. He went to the cross because that's what his father told him to do, and that's what his father preferred to save all of mankind. The next thing it says, it is not irritable or resentful. You ever been around the, these people? They're a pleasure. Always irritable. Never in a good mood, never joyful. And, you know, Paul is saying, first of all, if, if you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, honestly, irritability should be something that fades out of your life. If for nothing else, because you've been redeemed. There should be a joyfulness in Christ, if nothing else. And, and it says if you, if you claim to love people, and it, what, what you're not, you're not irritable and you're not resentful. You know, and, hey, you know what, um, I, I just talked to my mom and, and uh, that she really wants us to come up there, you know, for this. And, you know, they've got this going on. And, well, I'll tell you what, I resent your mother for that. I'm resentful that we have to go to see your family again. And I resent that. I resent that I didn't get to go hunting this Saturday because one of your friends had to go and their stupid kid had to get married. I'm sorry, did that just come out? But that's wrong. You know where I'm going to be on, on, on the 20th? I'm going to be at the wedding. Would I rather be hunting deer on the opening day of deer season? 100%. But I'm not going to be resentful about that. I'm going to kid around about it. But you know where I'm going to be? I'm going to be at the wedding. You know why? It's a big deal for friends of you, friends of yours that you claim to love for their child to be getting married. That really is more important than the opening day of deer season. Because what a sacrifice. I only have three more months to hunt. Yeah, but, yeah, but I resent that I didn't get to go out there on opening day. I resent that. And you're going to hear about it all day long. See, that's, that's the other part about being irritable, irritable and resentful. So even if you begrudgingly go, then you complain about the fact that you went the whole time you went, and that's not love either. You know what love is? For me to shut my mouth and go to that wedding and be joyful about it. Why? Because I love my wife and I love these people. It's a big day for them. And it's more important than deer hunting. 
So so he says, and if you really love people, which you know I do, then you don't uh, be grumpy about it, and you're not resentful that you have to go. You go purely because you love them. Okay. Now now do I did I know pretty quick that this family doesn't deer hunt? I did. Do you know? Do you ever had somebody get married on the big football game that day? Hmm. Right? Do you resent that? Does that make you irritable? Or, or do you say, you know what? I love these people, so I'm going. Maybe football's not their thing. You know, that's back to you insisting on your own way, too. You think the whole wide world has the same passions you do. They don't, apparently. So um, so we, we don't do that. Uh, and then listen to this, this, this next one. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Now, I, it took me a while to study this one, and I've, I've studied 1 Corinthians 13 quite a bit because um, uh, it, it's just to me so profound and so beautifully written. And, and I've done uh, you know, a number of weddings, and this was read at my own wedding, and, and I've done marriage conferences where we unpack this too because it seems to be very beneficial that you can just look and see what the Bible says about love. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's hard. It's a high standard that can only be achieved by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. But this is the one that I really had to study. And you know what it says about it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Are you ready for this? This is a hard-hitting one here. And it may not hit you when you first look at it. It may, it may have you, but I, I'm not very smart, so it took me time to figure it out. What it's saying is, have you ever rejoiced because somebody you claim to love messed up? You thought, man, that made me look really good. You made a mistake, and you did the wrong thing. And I'm kind of loving it. And I'm going to hold it over your head. It's going to, we're going to talk about this here in a minute. And, and I like that you messed up because I just put that in my account. Uh, and you messed up, and I'm going to hold that. I'm kind of I'm thinking to myself, hey, that gives me some leeway that maybe I do something I shouldn't do because you messed up. And you know what he means by you rejoicing the truth? What you really realize is how bad you are and how many times you've treated them wrong, and how many things you've had to be forgiven of. And suddenly the fact that they messed up is not a whole lot to to rejoice about or make fun of them about or give them a hard time about because the truth of the matter is you think of all the things you've had to be forgiven of. And you rejoice in the truth that really you're not going to withhold forgiveness from someone you claim to love, that Jesus or they didn't withhold from you. You rejoice in the truth of the matter. You don't spend time always looking for somebody to mess up so you can give them a hard time about it. You rejoice in the truth that we've all been forgiven and we're equal at the foot of the cross. That's what people who love each other do. You, you, you don't make a big deal out of it or rejoice when somebody messes up. And then you think of the, the next thing. It says love, and this is beautiful in verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, halts. Uh, hopes all things and endures all things. I'm, I just I just want to let that resonate. You could take that one verse and say, I'll spend the next several months on this. This is such a profound verse. Love bears all things. I, I'll go through anything with you. And I've seen some things happen with people that, man, they love each other to watch them bear something that was very, very difficult. It might even be something that had to be forgiven that was an incredible insult to the purity of the marriage. 
and to watch them work through it and for the offended spouse to say, I will bear this with you. If you want forgiveness, I'll give it to you. I won't withhold this. I love you, and we can bear this. Or something that's just a, a, a sickness, um, a struggle. Um, you know, I think a lot of times if we're honest with these verses, if you've ever been married and you're a married person, it's such a wonderful day, isn't it? Such a celebration. But I think we really need to be paying attention when we're telling God and his representative that we will bear all things. We'll be with this person for better or worse. And every time we say that, if we're honest, we don't think the worst is going to happen. We don't think there's going to be cancer. We don't think there's going to be death. We don't think that there might be, sadly, infidelity. We don't think that there may be something tragic, paralysis, whatever it may be. We never really lost a job. We don't have any income. I'm looking at our power bill, and I don't know how we're going to pay it. You don't think about that on your wedding day. You shouldn't. Because I assure you, all in creation. It's no problem to be together for the better. That's pretty easy. But in this fallen creation, there's no one that is going to enter into the connection of marriage and relationship and the kind of love that is demanded that will never face difficulty. And if you really love someone, then you'll bear it. And it says, and in, in, in believes all things. What does that mean? If you love somebody, you give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, you may find out that there's something that happened that shouldn't have happened or something that was said that shouldn't have been said. But you love the person so much that your first reaction is not accusation and condemnation. Your first reaction is they get the benefit of the doubt because you love them and you believe in them. Something difficult happens. I lost my job. I believe in you. I believe that you'll, you'll be a provider. I believe you'll make it happen. Hey, I, I, we've got something difficult we've got to walk through. I believe that you'll walk us through it, husband. I believe that you'll, you'll undergird me and help me, wife. I believe in you. I don't think you're goofy. I don't think you're stupid. I don't think you're inept, and I'm not, you're not a joke to me. I believe in you. I will bear anything. I believe in you. I trust you. I think that you'll come through. Man, that's a great feeling, isn't it? I tell people all the time, I, I appreciate all of you very, very much, and I appreciate your encouragement, and it does mean a lot to me. And if I've ever come across as ungrateful, I'm sorry. But there's nothing like my wife encouraging me. There's just nothing like it. I mean, usually if I get a chance to speak and teach and she's there, I'm looking at one person. When I step off the platform, I can get the, hey, man, that was, that was good. Hey, man, what good? I'm looking at one person. And, and if I see her come up to me and say, you did a good job, man, I really couldn't care less what anybody else says. But if everybody else says it was good, but she says, ah, I've heard you do better then it's over. I mean, I, it's just, then, then I just think, well, it was awful. I mean, the, 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 the power that God has given the, spot, uh, the spouse 
to encourage and to 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 lift up the other spouse. There's no other relationship on earth like it, and it should never be taken lightly. And sometimes I think that men look for the applause of everyone, and they look to please everyone, and women look to please everyone except their husband or wife. They, they want others to find them impressive, but they really couldn't care less how their wife or their husband sees them, and that's a mistake, and that's not love. And then Paul says it hopes all things. Hey, we're going through a tough patch, but I'm hopeful. I'm, ne- I'm, I'm my hope never leaves. I love you. I have. I, I. I always have hope that we're going to get through this. I always have hope that this is going to happen. Every time that I see you, because I love you, I hope all things. On the worst day, when I walk in and I see you, I'm reminded of the hope that I have in Christ and the gift that he gave me in you. It always gives me hope. And then, of course, a little different than bearing all things, it's one thing to carry the burden for someone, and we certainly will do that, but to endure something. This is, this is hard. And, and you never, if you love someone, you never look at them and say, I have to abandon my devotion to you because I can't endure this. This is too hard. There's nothing too hard for us to endure for the person and the people that we claim to love. I can endure it because I love you. You know, I, I, I know that I know people that um, are in marriages where something has happened physically, uh, where there's um, they've been told that the intimacy of the marriage is something that they'll never experience again. And they endure it. They don't make excuses for sin. They love the person beyond that. And if that's something that they'll never get to enjoy together physically on this side of heaven, they endure it because the person is more to them than that. They love them. There's people that have been told that their spouse will never speak again, uh, that they're, um, I'm watching my own parents. My spouse doesn't know what day it is. They don't remember anymore. But what you don't say is, well, this is so difficult. I know I told you that I loved you, but it's too difficult. I can't endure it. I'm out. That's not love. In, in, in true love, you endure, you endure all things. So I would take verse 7, and I'd really hang on to that. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. I love that he says this, as for prophecies, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And this is what Paul's saying back to the gifts again, because that's what the original thing he's writing about. He says, look, you may, you, you know what we could say? <laughs> My youthfulness will end uh, not that I've ever been physically attractive, but there are people that are very, my wife is beautiful. 
you've seen, and you know what, on this side of heaven it says we're all going to get old. Things are going to pass away. Even if you're gifted at something, it's going to pass away. And they, I love what he says, those of you who think you have the gift of prophecy, we're not in the presence of the Lord yet. You don't know, you don't know half of it. You're, you're prophesying in part. You, don't, you haven't seen the glory of God. And he says, but I'll tell you the one thing, the love that God gave us, the grace that he's shown us, the mercy that he has shown us, let me tell you something, your giftedness on earth, that may pass away, but love never ends. The love that you have been given from him, that doesn't fade away. So the question is, do you love in a way that reflects the love of God? Do you do this the way he said to do it, or are you pretending to love someone, but you're doing it the way he says you don't do it? Because he says his standard for love and our giftedness to love never ends. You know, I remember the first time I read the book, and I can't think of the author's name. I think his first name was Mark. Some of y'all may remember this. I have it at home. I need to go find it. And it says the one thing you don't get to do in heaven. And you know what it is? Point people to Christ. Disciple people. That's over. We don't lead anybody to Christ in heaven. Witnessing is over. Making disciples is over. And uh, and so what he's saying is that's going to fade away. So this is not something you've got infinite time on. So even the giftedness of evangelism fades. It, it will one day go away. But love never ends. The, the, your ability to love each other doesn't go away. That's one gift that is never removed, and we treat it as if it is one of the least important. People don't really brag about their ability to love. And he says that's the one thing that's never going to go away. And I love this part. And this, this applies to the way I've said this before on this next one, and I'm dealing with some, well, I've said this before, and I continue to say it. It's a better way to say it. When you're sitting and you're talking to a couple that claims to love each other and they're acting like children. And um, I remember this vividly. I was talking with a couple and I, I was trying to talk to them about that really divorce was not an option. And so I said, well, let me recap again what Scripture says and let's talk about maybe there's something I don't know. I said, I'm looking at Scripture and, and Scripture tells us that if one of you has been sexually unfaithful and does not seek forgiveness, then Scripture allows the offended spouse to leave the marriage. So have either one of you been unfaithful to each other sexually? And they both said no. I said, okay. So then the other thing we find in, in, in this letter, which we've talked about, one of you has pretended to be a follower of Christ and you're really a pagan and you refuse to accept Christ, you're, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. And you, you married this person anyway, and you want to leave. So if one of y'all not a believer and wants to leave, no. So you both are still saying that you are, you are followers of Jesus. You both been redeemed. Yes. So nobody's a pagan here. No. So then why are y'all wanting to break this marriage up? And you know what they're saying? We just don't love each other anymore. And you know what I said? What are you, in junior high? Somebody want their jacket back? What kind of childish, what, what kind of a childish statement 
is we just don't love each other anymore. Now, what the problem is, y'all don't know what biblical love is. It's it's not like children. It, it's not puppy love. My goodness, I mean, there's been many times in my marriage that my wife has looked at me and says, "You know, I got to just tell you right now, I'm loving you because I am committed to Jesus, and I told him I would." Because you're not lovable right now. And if it was just a bunch of emotions, they would fade. But I'm devoted to you through Jesus Christ. So I love you through him with all your imperfections. As I hope you'll love me with all my imperfections because he's the standard you aren't and I'm not. It's action. And and it never ends. So what Paul says next, he says, when I was a child, well, then I spoke like a child. And some of us treat our marriage like we're children, like we're dating, like we're in junior high. I just don't love anybody. I just don't love you anymore. I mean, that's garbage. I mean, that's absolute garbage. It means that you've never understood what love was. You, and it's not that you don't love them anymore. You never loved them to begin with. Because if you walk out of a marriage when there haven't been these two things that Scripture talks about, and you walk out of it on the sole reason that you just don't love them anymore, you're wrong. You're leaving the marriage because you don't love Christ anymore. It's not because you don't love them. It's because you don't love Jesus. Because if you loved Christ, you would never commit this sin. You would say, I'm devoted to this person, and I've, I know 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to follow these steps of everything that you say love is and love isn't, and if I do, I won't be walking out of here. You've heard me say this a thousand times, and I used to be an example of this, and I heard another incredible message on this the other day, one of the most convicting messages I've heard in a long time. It was from about 11 years ago, and somebody sent it to me uh, by, from Paul Washer, and um, I think that's how you say his name. It was incredible. But he was saying some of the things that we've said here before. He said, I'm sick and tired of people saying that the church acts just like the world. The church does not act like the world. There's just too many people that claim to be part of the church, and we let them get away with it. They're not part of the church. That isn't the church. If the church is operating the way the Scripture says it will operate, it's nothing like the world. The church looks just like the world. No, it doesn't. People may look just like the world, but the church doesn't. When the church is done the way Scripture said it should be done, it does not look like the world. And people who are truly redeemed do not do not look like people who aren't. You've heard me talk about this. Well, people divorce at the same rate as the world. No, they don't. That's not true. That we just let people get away with being called a Christian. But they're not. And when you find out every study that's ever been done that takes this claim of Christianity and pushes people on it and says, let's interview you about how you see the Word of God. Let's interview you about if you pray together as a married couple. Let's interview if you are devoted to and belong to the local church. Let's interview you about how many times, what's your prayer life like. Let's interview you about the way that you go about growing spiritually. Are you involved in any Bible study of any kind? How often do you attend worship together? And when you get down to it, you realize that the people that pass the standard of devotion to Christ and have the fruit of, of abiding in Christ, those people don't divorce hardly ever. Not hardly ever. I tell you the people that, that, that divorce at a high rate are people who are lost. No matter what they claim, 
If you looked into their life, you wouldn't find any evidence of Jesus at all. It's just some claim. It's some cultural Christianity. So don't buy into that kind of garbage. It's just not true. The church does not look like the world. The devoted followers of Jesus don't look like the world. We just let people get away with claiming they are one of those two things when they aren't. So that's the reason why if you walk out of a marriage under the circumstances I just I just talked about, it has nothing to do with love of each other. It has everything to do with love of Christ. And you're acting like children. And Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, and that just means adulthood, if you're female, when I became a woman, I gave up childish ways. Is there anything more embarrassing for someone who claims to be a Christian and you see the way that they're treating this, this, this word that I love someone, I'm devoted to someone, and, and, and they, you get around them and you realize that, like I said, they're treating marriage and they're treating relationships as if they were children. They have a very silly, immature notion of love, which is why they are bouncing from one person to another. Have you ever thought about that? How your relationships never work? Have you ever thought it could be you? We've been around these people, right? Relationships never work out for them. But there's one constant denominator. And who is that? It's you. Maybe there there can't be that many bad people out there. I mean, you, you, you're the constant denominator in all this, and it could be the reason why you don't ever keep friendships and the reason why you're bouncing from marriage to marriage is you've never understood what it means to truly love someone. You've never understood it. You've never done it. And that's why it, these relationships don't last because they're not based on biblical love. They're based on childish views of these things. There, there comes a time, I talk about this spiritually, and I'm an example of this. Yes, 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 because I can hear you and I see the email already. Yes, it's true. Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Mark. Yes, it's true that we come to redemption like a child. That's true. Because we have a childlike faith in Jesus, and we leave faith in ourselves, and we, and we trust in Christ and have faith in Christ, and that faith sometimes can be the faith of a child that produces true redemption. Praise God for that. But where I think we blow it is we think now that we've been redeemed that we are a spiritual child. No. We may come to Christ as a child, but we don't stay a child. That's when we truly become a man or a woman, an adult, spiritually in Christ. And so we, we stop seeing things through the eyes of either our physical child self or our spiritual child self. Grow up. Grow up spiritually. Have some depth to your spiritual walk. And leave these childish things behind, especially the childlike view of love. It's it, you, you don't enter in a marriage by handing over a piece of notebook paper that says, do you love me, yes, no, or maybe. You're not a child. This is not childlike love that we're talking about here. And then Paul finishes and says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Here Paul is talking about what is to come. He says, look, guys, 
I'm trying to show you what God means by love, and I'm trying to show you that these spiritual gifts that you have and these relationships of the church understand that right now, even the things that I'm telling you, these are things that we partially know. We, we, we are looking right now like you would go and look in a mirror and you would see it dimly. You could kind of make yourself out, but you couldn't see it real clear. That's about how much you know about God right now. Okay? He says, this is how big this is. This is, this is what is to come that we need to be preparing ourselves for. And he says, so I know in part, but the time is coming that I'm going to be fully known. And then you kind of go back and you think about 1 John when, when John is telling this church that's had all this, the Gnostics have come in and they're getting confused and they're losing their good theology and they're behaving in ways that, 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 that John is saying can't be happening if you truly have been redeemed. And what he's saying is the day of the Lord is coming and what I'm concerned about, if you don't start understanding these things and you don't start taking the standard of God seriously and if you don't start realize that with that what I'm talking about is you have been regenerated into the the image of Christ and if you don't understand what that means the day is going to come when you're going to see God fully and on that day is going to be a day of dread for you as opposed to a day of glory I don't want you to tremble at his coming I want you to run to him like a, a like like a child anticipating the return of their father but to, to know him so well that you recognize when he reveals himself to us fully that you are now in the glory that you have been anticipating, not in the judgment of what you should dread. That's what I'm trying to prepare you for. The standard of God is available to all of us, and it's demanded by him. And you're running around trying to show off your spiritual gifts, or you're running around trying to show off all this stuff and how wonderful you are. And, and, the, and, and the part about that is you don't truly love your brothers and sisters. You don't truly love your spouse. You don't truly love your children if your view of this is how wonderful you are and how gifted you are and how everybody are to march to the beat that you demand. He, he says that's not love. Frankly, it's childish. It's like a bunch of spoiled brats that are trying to show their shiny toys and saying my toys are better than yours. And he says that's not love at all. If you're in a relationship with someone that you claim you love, you really can sum all this up, and that relationship is one-sided, and you think that everybody that you claim to love, they are there to make a big deal out of you, then you really don't love them at all. When was the last time that you said, what do you want to do today? Tell me what you like. Tell me about yourself. How was your day? Really? Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Not, I wish this person would stop so I can tell them all the things I did today and how we need to spend some time on what I need done. You know what? You want to tell you when you really love somebody is when you had something that you really wanted to tell them about that wasn't something that really needed to be celebrated, but you really want to talk about your day. And suddenly you realize that when the day ended, you never got around to it. because you were just so engrossed in what they needed. Not that you never get to it, but sometimes the best way to show somebody you love them is to just shut up about yourself and listen about them. 
Because Paul goes on to say in the final verse, so now faith, hope, and love abide. There's that word everywhere I look. Lord, you keep showing it to me. These three, but the greatest of these is love. What a beautiful statement. He said, yes, faith is important. Hope is important. Love is important. All these things abide together. But if you had to pull one out, the greatest of them all is love. Why is that? Why is that? Because when you look to the cross, you know what the motivating factor for the cross is? And be careful. The son's love for the father. And the son willing to go and sacrifice himself so that things could be set right and fulfill his father's will. So that the father could then be back into fellowship with sinful human beings who rejected him. And the son set it right. And I know we think he said it right for us, and be real careful for that about that. The first motivation was he said it right for his father, who then said it right for us. Jesus went to the cross for, for us, he did, but he went there because his father sent him. And he went there to show the love for the father, which in return was love for us. And I think what we get bent out of shape is that we're the big deal in all this. God's the big deal in all this. He's the one worthy of worship. We are not worthy of worship. We try to we love to be worshiped, but we have no right to be worshiped. And he certainly doesn't worship us. We worship him. And if we want to know how to love each other, then we got to first figure out how to love him. And then we can take his standard of love and we can apply it appropriately. If, you, if this kind of love is not being made in you and in me, then we are not connected to the vine. We are not connected to Christ. Because Christ told us in John 15 that if we abide in him and he abides in us, man, I've, I've, been, I've been thinking about this for days because it's such a profound statement, and it makes me look at my life in a whole different way. If we abide in him, which means we remain in him, that we're, we act in accordance with him, he is so powerful that he says, I will produce much fruit in you, proving that you're my disciple. We have got to stop behaving in a way that does not show Christ by claiming we still have Christ. Because Scripture says that's impossible. If we have not been radically changed by the power of Christ, and we look at these standards for love and we say, too high, that's, that's too high. Yeah, it's unattainable by human beings. But here's the part we miss. But it is attainable by Christ. It is attainable by God. And if it's not in your life, you're not spending enough time with God. You're not connected to God because his power produces this kind of fruit. 
And if you say, well, I don't love that way, number one, then you really don't love the people you claim you love. But more importantly is number two. There's something wrong with you spiritually. Because what you're saying is not that you can't love this way, that God can't love this way. But he can. So you have to examine your life and say, do I see the evidence of God's love flowing from me? And if he's in you, do you do? And say perfection, certainly make mistakes, but you correct them. But if you are deliberately and perpetually practicing the wrong kind of love, and this, this, when you compared it to this and you're not doing that, then, then you've got to examine, as, as you see uh, that, um, in 2 Corinthians that Paul tells us in, verse 13, in chapter 13 there, you examine yourself to see if you are of the faith. See if you pass the test of the evidence of God in your life. And one of the biggest tests, since it never ends, that we can look to for the evidence of Christ in our life is the way that we love. And if it has integrity, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this very convicting message. Thank you for these powerful words, and thank you for not beating around the bush and helping us to see that you have not been silent on what love is and love isn't. I repent of all the times, Lord, that I've claimed to love people and then I didn't, I didn't act like I did. But, Lord, thank you for continuing to change me and to teach me how to love. The biggest mistake I know that I made is just assuming that I knew how to love without checking with you. Thank you for correcting that. and Thank you for continuing to correct me because you love me. I pray for those right now that have heard this message and they are responding to it in a number of ways. But um, one way may be that they don't see the evidence of you in their life. And if that is the case, Lord, I pray in your holy name that right now they would repent of their sin. They would leave faith in themselves and they would would place their faith in you. And then the process could start. And may we not abandon them, Lord. May we then disciple them that they be sanctified by you. Because you have clearly said, those who really belong to you have the fruits of you in their life and your powerful Holy Spirit. So bring conviction on those who need it, Lord. Bring refinement on the rest of us that absolutely need to be continued to be refined, including the teacher. Because there's nothing great about us, but there is so much wonderful about you. And thank you, Lord, for teaching us how to love by first loving us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.